What's going on, everybody? Today's episode of the Control Yourself podcast is brought to you by FunctionalAnatomySeminars.com. If you want to learn more about the systems that I teach, um, about how we... we, uh, We treat people, how we train people, how we increase body control. Um, You want to learn more about functional range conditioning or kin stretch or anything like that, please visit functionalanatomyseminars.com. We have online certifications uh, going on uh, all over the place. Uh, So if you want your certification, if you want to know a little bit more about what it is that we teach and why we teach it and the the scientific history and rationale, which of course is included in all of our courses – Um, I advise you to please visit functionalanatomyseminars.com, jump on a certification, Uh, I am sure you will enjoy it. As always, this episode is also brought to you by westside-barbell.com. If you visit westside-barbell.com and use the promo code DRE10, D-R-E-10, D-R-E-1-0 that is, Um, you will get 10% off uh, your purchase of educational material, um, clothing, and the like. Uh, Visit uh, Westside Barbell if you haven't heard of them. It's a a treasure trove of information for sport-specific sport training, um, for conditioning, for strength. Um, Check them out, westside-barbell.com. Uh, Today's episode is a whiteboard session, which means I pretty much sit down in front of a whiteboard and and haul off on some topics. Um, I will bring that up now just to say that if you are listening to this on the audio and you'd like to actually see uh, the whiteboard and the drawings, you can go to the FaceTube, uh, FaceTube, go to the YouTube page, uh, YouTube uh, slash YouTube.com slash Dr. Andrea Spina, and you can check out all of uh, the images Anyway, uh, in this podcast session, I, I really sit down to discuss goal setting with clients and with patients. And I don't mean goal setting like I want to lose 10 pounds or I want to put 20 pounds on my bench press. I mean, uh, I, I speak to the idea that if, if you don't have specific goals, then likely your, your training inputs will fall short of, of what it is you're trying to achieve. So I talk specifically about the difference between a tissue-specific approach versus a sports-specific approach. If you've heard me speak in the past, you'll know that uh, I, I'm, I'm not really a big fan of sports-specific training as it's done right now in the, in the ether. Uh, I am more a fan of tissue-specific training for sports. Uh, I really lay out what I mean by this, an understanding of you know which tissue are you trying to influence, how, what are the loads you're using, what's the time scale you're using, and why. Um, so I talk a lot about um, tissue-specific training. We talk about defining a goal. Do you want speed? Do you want power? Do you want to heal something? Do you want to reinforce it? Do you want to organize it? Um, these are all questions where if, if you can get a more specific answer, likely you'll be programming um, more specific inputs, which will lead to more specific results. Other topics I talk about um, in that conversation are the difference between max efforts and dynamic efforts in weight training um, and how we can kind of redefine those in our brain to make it make more sense for our clients. Uh, We talk about the, I talk about the pitfalls of pattern training or only pattern training without having an internal training program for joints. I talk about the actual anatomy and physiology of muscular contraction and why the understanding of that is so vitally important when you're programming for people. 
We talk about the all or none principle of contraction. We, uh, contraction. We talk about um, quite a bit about programming for combat athletes. If you're a jiu-jitsu player or a striker or an MMA person, um, you'll like this episode because a lot of the examples that I give, as usual, are about combat sports. At the very end, there's a, a pretty good detailed discussion about striking and about using the the heavy bag as a as a training tool. Um, for tissue-specific training. We also have a lot of jiu-jitsu talk in there as well. Um, I will also note that if you're listening to this and not watching it, there is one part where I say the word um, paramecium, and and it was my mistake, I meant epimecium. It's corrected on the video. Um, you might not notice. It's a very small thing, but you'll, you'll, you might run into that. As well, uh, on a couple occasions, I use the term GPP, uh, general physical preparedness, and, and I, I could have more specifically said SPP for uh, one part of the conversation. That's another little correction. Um, other than that, uh, without further delay, I bring you myself rambling about all of those above topics. Enjoy. What's going on, guys? We have uh, another whiteboard session today um, that we'd like to that I'd like to do. So uh, let's get started. Uh, what did I want to talk about today? I wanted to talk a little bit about the idea of uh, patternization and the fact that the desire to replicate patterns, um, in my opinion, is often what causes uh, most musculoskeletal injuries uh, that people are suffering from. So let's take something like a jiu-jitsu practitioner. If you take a jiu-jitsu practitioner, uh, and let's say that I'm training the jiu-jitsu practitioner for, for competition. If we take their whole training week, we have, you know, we think of the whole training week as 100% of the time that they have allotted to training. In that training, of course, there has to be jiu-jitsu practice, there has to be rolling, um, you know, there has to be a variety of different things in addition to this, this concept of strength training uh, based on the idea that somehow strength training is supposed to enhance or improve the ability for that jiu-jitsu player um, to execute their technique. So if you, if you think about their training week and their training week being 100% of their time, their time is very precious, it's very valuable because there's a lot of things that they have to do. So what I want to talk about is what those jiu-jitsu players or practitioners or, or martial artists are doing inside the gym. And that will, um, I think it will, it'll make people understand or let people understand that a lot of the focus that people are doing in the gym isn't really helping what they want to do outside of the gym. Uh, most people who I see training in a gym, the types of things that they're doing are going to improve their ability to do the types of things that they're doing in the gym. Uh, that was a mouthful, but really what I'm talking about is the law of specificity. Um, and that brings me into this concept of pattern. So if you're a jiu-jitsu player, um, there's a certain amount of GPP you have to maintain. GPP is general preparedness. Every athlete has to be generally prepared um, to do things. They have to have general balance. They have to have general strength. They have to have um, their internal chemistry. Everything has to be prepared so that training is accepted by the body and then that they can make improvements. So they have to maintain certain capacities, so to speak. So let's say that that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu player decides that they're going to program in squatting. So 
squatting and deadlifting because they heard it's the king of all exercises. And very commonly, someone will put in bench press because when they think of max effort uh, types of activities, people usually think of those three things, bench press, squatting, and deadlifting. So if we think about GPP and, and maintaining qualities, if you're a jiu-jitsu player and you're maintaining the quality of squatting and you're maintaining the quality of deadlifting and you're maintaining the quality of, of bench pressing, what that tells me is that when you're doing these things, when you're doing bench press, when you're doing squatting, when you're doing deadlifting, um, you're patternizing your body. And here's what I mean by that. As soon as you take a movement and you affect the movement by allowing a conscious mind to constrain the variables, you're patternizing. So when I say the word squat, th there is no such thing as a squat. There's, no, there's nothing inherent to, to the genome of Homo sapiens where I can point to it and I can say, you know, this sequence of coding codes for squatting. Squatting is a word. It's a, it's a mouth noise that people use to um, indicate that they want you to start from a certain body shape, end up in another body shape, and then return to the original body shape. It's a pattern. When I say squat, people think to themselves the cues they heard about from their trainers when they squat. Chest up, knees out, knees don't go over the toes, go to a particular depth. Um, don't let your knee come in into valgus. Don't let it go out into varus. So in other words, I give you this concept in your brain of a squat. I can find the variables by explaining what a squat looks like. And then I have my client try to replicate this squat. So we go to the jiu-jitsu player. So every week, the jiu-jitsu player is using squatting or deadlifting as their max effort work. If, if you know anything about programming, you realize that in, in, the pro, in a person's program, there's max effort and there's dynamic effort. Um, going back to the conjugate system uh, from Westside Barbell, I, I refer you to there to learn more about those kind of uh, programming terms. But in general, when you're dealing with any type of athlete, there's dynamic work and there's max effort work. So most people use squats, deadlifts as max effort work. The jiu-jitsu player, squats, deadlifts, deadlifts as max effort work. So every week, they're maintaining their ability to execute those particular patterns. And this is what I wanted to get to you only have a certain amount of neurological availability per week um, to be able to execute. If you're already doing max deadlifts and you're doing max bench press and you're doing max um, squats, and those are the three things that you're maintaining, there's very little neurological energy left to actually train the things that a jiu-jitsu player should be maintaining. For example, the squeeze. There, there's never a situation where a jiu-jitsu player should tell me that I, you know, I was, I was rolling, I got someone in a rear naked choke, but it was with my non-dominant hand, and I didn't have the, the, the squeeze to be able to finish the, the, the procedure. Uh, the squeeze, upper body squeezing, and lower body squeezing for that matter, uh, guard retention, pulling guard, holding someone in your guard, triangles, um, finishing triangles, arm bars, these are all determined by one's ability to squeeze as well as grip strength. I'm going to add that one in. So let's ask the question, what does the jiu-jitsu player want to be maintaining on a, on a week to week, on a month to month basis? The GPP shouldn't be concerned with squatting so much as it should be concerned with the ability to squeeze. So with regards to max effort and dynamic efforts, if you give me a jiu-jitsu player, 
several times during that week when I'm doing max effort work, the max effort work is going to be the practice of squeezing. People don't think of it that way because if I gave you, let's say a medicine ball and I say, go and guard, put the medicine ball between your legs and I want you to isometrically contract, they don't think of that as max effort work. People think max effort work is solely restricted to these named exercises like the deadlift as if that's the only way to maximally train your body. But when we're talking about max effort work, what we're saying is when you maximally load the system neurologically, um, with weight, without weight, when you're, when you're stressing the, the body's tissue at a maximum, you're engaging all of the body to do something, the entire body bioflow, you're going to have neurological and endocrinological, endocrinological or endocrine benefits. That's why we do max effort work. What you decide to do with the max effort work is really a question of what quality do you want to maintain? What quality do you want to constantly get stronger at? To say that a jiu-jitsu person wants to constantly get stronger at deadlifts and constantly maintain a max effort deadlift is to say that that movement somehow plays a substantial role in grappling. I'm not saying it doesn't, but to say that that movement plays more substantial role than does the squeeze, in my opinion, is to not understand uh, the idea of sports specificity. It's another uh, problem is that when you do these patterned exercises, these named patterned exercises, immediately when you give someone an exercise and you give it a name, understand that you're now programming them to get better at the named exercise, not to get better at themselves. So if I put, you're going to do squatting. When you squat and I tell you how to squat and I say chest up and I say knees out, what I'm saying is I want you to replicate squat in the exact way that my verbal cues are telling you to replicate the squat. So then you go ahead and replicate the squat. Now, based on muscle physiology, we know that when you replicate a movement, the way the muscles contract become patternized. What do I mean by that? People have this weird concept that a muscle does something. And, and a muscle doesn't do something because a muscle isn't really a something. A muscle is a, a mouth noise um, that we use to describe a large area of tissue. Um, in other words, if I take a muscle, so on the outside of a muscle, you're going to have the paramecium, which is the outer connective tissue or fascial encasement of the muscle. And then inside that, that muscle, you're going to have a separation of what we call uh, muscle bundles. In these muscle bundles, they're surrounded by what we call, by what we call paramecium, which is the connective tissue encasements of these bundles. And then in every single bundle, you're going to have thousands and thousands of individual muscle cells. Okay, so here's a bundle with, with all of the muscle cells. I'm looking at this uh, as if I'm taking, let's say, the bicep and I'm cutting it transverse so that you're looking straight on onto the bicep. Now, so you have all of these bundles, and all of these bundles have all of these muscle cells. Now, we know this to be a muscle. We say this is the bicep, and we say weird things like the bicep does this or the bicep does that. But if you look at the current literature on muscle physiology and how muscles contract, and if you look at the intramuscular force transmissions, the intramuscular force transmissions, the literature regarding those, it's very difficult for me to tell you that a muscle has a particular task or a particular function because you don't contract a muscle 
with the all or none principle of human physiology. What do I mean by that? There is a principle in human physiology called the all or none principle of muscular contraction. And what it states is, is that when you neurologically discharge to a particular motor unit, the entire motor unit has to contract. So it's all or none. So when a signal goes out to a motor unit, the entire motor unit contracts. What it does not say is that when you send a signal to a muscle, the entire muscle contracts. A motor unit does, is not the same as a muscle. A motor unit is an innervating nerve plus the few muscle fibers that it innervates. So this particular motor unit, I'm going to demonstrate as innervating four uh, muscle fibers, and that is one motor unit. When I contract this motor unit, when my central nervous system tells this, uh, this motor unit to contract, all of these fibers must contract. That is what the all or none principle demonstrates. It doesn't say that the entire muscle should contract. So what does that tell us? That tells us that the muscle isn't a something. The muscle is thousands of somethings because every single muscle fiber or muscle cell in its own right is its own muscle. It has its own strength strain curve. Uh, it has its own uh, machinery for contraction, etc. So every single one of these muscle fibers is its own muscle. Now we go back to this idea of squatting. And I realize I said this was the bicep, but you can very easily just substitute this with the quadricep muscles of any, uh, whichever one you like the best. When you do a squat, you don't contract the entire group of quadriceps at the exact same amount or intensity. What happens is when you patternize an exercise, the same motor units are going to be utilized. So you might use these motor units for your particular squat. And then if I go to the neighboring bundle, maybe you're going to use um, this one, this one, and this one. And then in the neighboring bundle, there's going to be another few uh, muscle cells that you're actually going to contract. All of these other ones are not going to contract. So I'll just go ahead and erase these ones that are not contracting. So now when you look at a total muscle contraction, that's what contracts. So in this particular example, these fibers, these cells, those cells, and those cells. Now, if I change the pattern, if I tell you now I want you to put your leg another 30 degrees into external rotation or uh, 10 degrees into internal rotation, however I change your body position, I'm going to change the way the muscle contracts. So now in the new body position, when I say squat, instead of con contracting these fibers, you might contract these fibers. These ones are no longer being activated, and now you're using this motor unit. And then on this muscle, instead of using the ones that we have there, maybe you're only using a few of those cells. And then on this one, you're going to ramp up some more cells in this direction. All of these different muscular combinations will pull at very different angles on the resulting tendon. Because of that, it's going to pull very specifically on the joint that that tendon is affecting. So now we have the muscle is going to contract very specifically. Only the, the, the tissues in the surrounding area will take the immediate force from the muscular contraction. Those forces will bleed into other areas of the muscle, but it's not the entire muscle. In other words, when you ask someone to patternize, you're using the same physical material over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Now, 
If you think of the adaptation capacity of an individual muscle cell, you have to conclude that it cannot adapt indefinitely. So if you're running the same pattern, you only have a few options for those motor units along that path. The motor units are going to adapt, hopefully, to your stimulus, but they're only going to adapt to a point, and then they're going to um, either plateau or they're going to get injured. As soon as you've exceeded the amount of adaptation that can occur, that's when you reach the upper limit of your ability to produce force or your upper limit of your ability to perform. Going back to the bench press, if you're doing a bench press and your coach tells you you have to do the bench press this way every time, those cues only make sense if your job is the replication of bench pressing. Because if it's not, and you're told, I want you to bench press it with this body position all the time, then what your coach is saying is, I want the same tissues to be stressed along the same lines that we've always been stressing them on. And now that you're getting stronger, we're going to start to up the weight, up the weight. That's why you see people, people have been bench pressing for years. You would think that they would just, you know, 10 years ago, they were bench pressing one plate. They should be at six plates by now. But it doesn't happen that way. They kind of fluctuate. They go up, they go down, depending on injuries, depending on cycles of training, um, and depending on the ability to maximize the amount of adaptation that occurs in a particular pattern. You, you can't adapt more than you can adapt. That's, that's a rule. So if you're stressing the same patterns, then you're adapting the same patterns. And if you're patternizing someone and you're making them stress the same tissue, when you exceed the ability to adapt, that tissue has no choice but to yield or become injured. Other things that will happen is accommodation. The, the muscle will learn how to do the pattern easier. But again, where are you spending your time? Going back to the jiu-jitsu player, where are you spending your time? Is your time best spent using your maximal neurological efforts to replicate the pattern of squatting? Or is it better to replicate a pattern where you need your body to produce max efforts? If you're a jits guy out there, when was the last time you trained the squeeze. Now, don't tell me that you rolled, and then after your roll, you you know you you got someone in a rear naked or in a darse or whatever, and you tapped them because that's you know arguably ten to twenty seconds of muscular activation. But when did you solidify that pattern? When did you take the time to lay down tissue to strengthen? The, the, the pattern that is squeezing so that you can maximize that adaptation capacity. And the, the, the thing is, is that I don't see that in training. If I see it in training, I see it sporadically because those exercises don't have names. It's easy to, to you know, go to the gym and say, what am I doing today? I'm going to squat. I'm going to bench press. I'm going to, you're going to say the words, the mouth noises that have been given to you. But as a martial artist, you have to execute strength in a variety of different ways that don't resemble these patterns, these mouth noises. So in GPP, you have to maintain those capacities. And if you're not programming them, then you're not maintaining them. If you are programming it, often people program it with regards to their dynamic work. So they, 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 you know, they keep their maximal effort contraction for deadlifts or for bench press. And then you know, they'll do a few reps of squeeze Maybe if you're if your jujitsu instructor, you know, 
maybe they do it during class. So you might warm up with squeeze or, but it's not enough. It's not programmed. You're not doing it intensely enough. You're not treating it like a deadlift. So you're not getting all of the endocrine uh, benefits, all of the neurological benefits from training a max effort because people don't think it's max effort because you're taught that max effort has to have this patternized name. Uh, so to summarize, if you're a, a, an athlete, you have to almost stop thinking only sports specific and you have to start thinking tissue specific. Where do you need more tissue to be laid down? Where do you need the ability to produce or accept or dissipate force? Uh, and then you got to really concentrate on, on putting stuff in those areas. If you just keep backing up these patterns, again, unless your job is deadlift, unless you're a power lifter and you're squatting for, uh, you know, for, for, for weight, um, I believe that you're wasting a lot of your time. And as I said at the beginning of this, your training time um, is, is very precious. Hey, Dre. Oh, yes, sir. I so have a question. We have, we have Mark uh, behind the camera. And Hi, Mark Brunswick, your Mark producer Brunswick. of Control Yourself. Okay, so what's the question? So the question is, uh, I, I immediately get the connection to uh, jiu-jitsu uh, as I practice it. So for somebody who, say, does Muay Thai or a striking sport, um, can you give some examples of what the, the, the crossover, the translation would be for this, this max effort training? Brilliant. Okay, so this is my realm now. We're in the striking realm. So it's the, it's the same thing for a striker, and this brings up a whole another conversation here. Um, because there's, there, when you're, okay, so let's say when I'm doing my bag work, there's two different modes of bag work. There's, I'm doing bag work to practice skill, and then I'm doing bag work so that I can stress the tissues that I use for throwing kicks and punches, okay? That's max effort work. So there's, when I go to, a, to do a bag session, Sometimes my bag session is for physical training and sometimes it's for skill. When it's for physical training, I'm going to I'm going to put in spinning back kicks at, you know, 90 to 100% intensity for a certain number, just like you would do um, in the gym for bench press, you'll say, you know, three, five by five, five, whatever for max efforts, you might say, you know, five by, or you might say three reps for four sets at, at as much as you can do or 90% of what you can do or above 90% of what you can do. But when I'm doing spinning back kicks, when I hit a bag, that's a hundred percent of what I do for that particular technique. So that is my max effort work. So now I can put max effort work with spinning back kick and then I can couple that with dynamic effort work for, you know, muscular strength or generalizability. But to say that I'm going to do max effort work in a squat is, is to say that it's not going to trans, transition over as well as it is when you're actually doing the kick. But you understand what I'm saying. It, it, again, it goes back um, to the idea of patterning and what, where are you trying to lay down the most amount of tissue. And that brought up another point, and I hope I'm not jumping around too much, but they often say, and I've heard this all my life, because as you know, I started with uh, Taekwondo, I went to Kempo Karate, I went to Muay Thai, so I've done a lot of different striking arts, and I always hear that the Muay Thai kick is the strongest kick. 
<clears throat> now, I'm not going to argue that it's in general people who study with Muay Thai tend to have stronger kicks. And I don't want to argue the mechanics of it because throwing a leg kick just by the mechanics of it, you're gonna, it's, it's going to be easier to put more weight behind. When you do it in the Muay Thai way, I understand the mechanics of it, that you're swinging a baseball bat versus the, you know, the bending of the knee and the flicking out when you see in Taekwondo kicks or in, in um, karate kicks. Um, it's just a different hinge. So forget the argument that the, the kick probably has more force behind it just because of the mechanics. What's more important and what people forget is that Muay Thai gyms train the kick at max effort repeatedly. So they use the bag as a training device. They go to the bag and they say, I'm doing a hundred swing kicks. And they do that, let's say two to three times a week. That's max effort work for them. If all you're doing is hitting targets or um, when I was younger in Taekwondo, we'd have those, those kick pad targets. Again, that's a skill training session. And what you don't see as much with Taekwondo practitioners, with karate practitioners, Hapkido or any of these other things is you don't see them using the bag as max effort training. So the kick is stronger, sure, but the tissues that are along the pattern of the kick have been reinforced with max effort training for way, way longer uh, with Muay Thai practitioners, which might be one of the reasons why we ultimately say that the Muay Thai kick is, is that much stronger. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Was it, did I answer the question? Yeah. So okay. this is a missing piece in the other striking. Uh, it, it's so, a missing, but, yeah. So in theory, you should be doing, if you're doing a front snap kick, you should be doing a max effort front snap kick. At some point. To make that better. At some point. I mean, you can also break up, you know, if that's what you, if that's the quality that you're looking to improve, then I should see that max effort. It has to be done appropriately. Some people don't even have the, the stiffness or quality of tissue necessary to withstand heavy bag work, which is another reason I hate, you know what I hate is that <clears throat> cardio type kickboxing things. Uh, I don't hate it because it's not, it's fun. I get it. It's fun to do, but it's, you're taking people who are not prepared. It's like, would you start with um, plyometrics? You would, you would never take a, a, a beginner and say, we're going to do box jumps before you do one-legged squats, bodyweight squats. But if you take someone and you put them in a cardio kickboxing class, what you're saying is I want you to plow into this bag as hard as you can. So not only are you going to explode, but you're going to decelerate at an extraordinarily high rate, which is going to put an incredible amount of force into your tissue. And most people's tissues don't have the force dissipation capacity to be able to withstand. And then they hurt themselves. And of course, we blame it on whatever we blame. We blame Te it. Technique. We blame technique. it on technique. Or you didn't technique. drink enough water. Yeah. Or you haven't been squatting enough. As if squatting, uh, here's an, as if squatting is going to reinforce the exact line of tissue that you need. Uh, I mean, now, you're looking back at this and you might say, yeah, but if you're only always working the same pattern for kicking, then you're, you're going to patternize as well. And you're right. I get it. These things have to alter, right? There's GPP where there's certain qualities you have to keep and then you have to fluctuate what you're doing or you're always going to run into that problem. Um, but, you know, to call my patternizing out when we can go into this gym and watch people doing, you know, lat pulldowns at nauseam for 17 years 
I mean, the patterning going on there is far worse, right? That those tissues, the tissues that you're deadlifting with, trust me, they've been trained enough. Like if you think of the volume of training you've put on the specific tissues you use to deadlift with, it's probably fucking high, right? Like you've, a lot. I've been, how long have you been deadlifting? Um, when you think about it in these terms, when you think about taking an athlete and finding new areas to stress, when you, find, when you think about expanding range of motion, this is where people get confused into thinking that my system's only about mobility, it's not. It's about exploring the body to look for new lines of tissue with which to adapt so that it can ultimately produce or accept more load. So it's, it's searching the body for the ability to, to, to add more, to adapt more, as opposed to waiting for these patterns to fail and, and waiting for these patterns to ultimately uh, destroy the tissue. Um, I think that's a good place to leave it, but at, on the next whiteboard session, maybe we'll talk about the tissue itself. I mean, this was good for muscle, but there's, there's a lot more of this story where if we can take this muscle three-dimensionally and bring it out into a tendon and then tendon to ligament, ligament to capsule, capsule generally to the preservation of space, which is the joint, that bioflow understanding uh, is necessary to really understand what I'm trying to get at to its fullest depth. So our next whiteboard session, maybe we'll talk uh, strictly about bioflow and about how conceptualizing the human anatomy in terms of bioflow is, is a much more um, effective way uh, to conceptualize uh, the functionality of human anatomy. Um, but anyway, that's it for uh, this whiteboard talk. Um, thank you guys all for tuning in, and we will see you next time. I'm going to go squeeze something. <laughs>